So here's where I get a lot of resistance from people where they think, but the mean girl in my head is the only reason I've accomplished anything. And I used to think that too. The inner critic, yeah, can get you to accomplish a boatload of stuff, but it's not necessarily the stuff that's aligned with who you are. Yeah, the inner critic got me through high school, got me into an Ivy League college, got me a pretty sweet consulting job after college, but the inner critic also got me so depressed I had to go on medication, and then I started having panic attacks, <laughs> and then later on in my life, I broke my leg. So yeah, I accomplished a lot of sweet stuff, but somewhere along the line, my body and my brain were like, this is wrong. This is not what you should be doing. Welcome to Is This All There Is, the podcast for high-achieving women who have checked all the boxes and are left feeling overwhelmed, unfulfilled, and stuck. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ryan Fear, and in each episode, we'll use principles of cognitive psychology, feminist theory, and expert mindset coaching to help you build the confidence and clarity you need to accomplish whatever it is you want, even if you don't yet know what that is. Hey everybody, how is it going? When I'm recording this, it is getting towards the end of August, but it's still super hot around the Portland, Oregon area. So I hope wherever you are, you're doing well and you're staying cool. Or if you're one of my people in the Southern Hemisphere, you're staying warm. Anyway, I digress. Today, I wanna talk all about your inner critic. So there is a lot written about the voice of the inner critic. There are a lot of theories about it. There are a lot of ways to conquer your inner critic. But I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast episode, you probably haven't figured out how to navigate the voice inside of your head. <laughs> so today I want to talk all about inner critic kryptonite. So this is a solution I've found that's worked for me and it works for my clients and I want to share it with you. And along with that, I'm going to share a pro tip for beating procrastination because believe it or not, the inner critic does not help you get stuff done. The inner critic only helps you procrastinate and resist and white knuckle it. And that's just not a fun way to be. So let's get started. The inspiration for this episode was I was re recently coaching a client who was preparing for a job interview. So she was super excited about this job. It was in a new field that she's interested in. But you might have found yourself that the more excited you are about something, the more the voice of your inner critic pipes up. And there's a reason for that that I'll get to in just a minute. So we were trying to think about what the interview questions might be and... The more that we would talk about the interview, the more paralyzed she was getting. Because really, for every move she made, the voice of her inner critic would come out swinging. I don't know if a voice can come out swinging, but you get the idea. <laughs> so imagine being in a job interview and they say, tell me a little bit about yourself. And you start to say, well, I... And then you hear this voice in the back of your head. You're totally inept at everything you do. Even if you get this job, you'll screw it up. You only got your last job because your friend recommended you. Why are you even interviewing for this job? You get the idea. Maybe you've been there. Your inner critic's kind of a jerk. And you may have found that the more you try to ignore it, the more you try to silence it, the louder it gets. This is because your inner critic is actually coming from the primitive part of your brain, 
which is responsible for the fight or flight reflex. It's responsible for keeping you safe. So I want you to think of the voice of your inner critic being like a toddler. If you've ever had a toddler in your life, if you've ever seen a toddler, you know that if they want your attention, if you ignore them, they're just going to get louder. Same with your inner critic. You can't get angry at it. You can't squash it down. You can't ignore it. And that's okay because you don't actually have to. What's worse about your inner critic is that when you're thinking about doing something that you're really excited about, that it's bigger and bolder with your life, like I said before, that's when it gets the loudest. And that's because, believe it or not, it's trying to keep you safe. It knows, I talk about your brain like it's this outside entity, which you all might have noticed. But when you think about doing something that you're really excited about, the potential for disappointment is even greater. Think about it. You interview for a job that you're kind of meh about. Your inner critic's probably not that loud because you don't really care. I mean, it would suck not to get it because it's nice to be offered whatever job you interview for. But that's different from interviewing for a job that you're passionate about and really excited about because your inner critic is like, don't screw this up. So in its own bizarre way, it's trying to keep you safe. The good news is that I found the inner critic kryptonite. So you may think that the inner critic is something that you need to work with, right? If you can't ignore it, if you can't yell at it, if you can't get mad at it, you need to find a way to work with it. But that, I mean, to a certain extent that works, but you're probably thinking, well, how do I work with it, right? And that's what a lot of the advice is. It's get louder, it's ignore it, it's learn to work with it. What I would advise is actually not focusing on the voice of the inner critic or the brain gremlins or the mean girls in your head or whatever you like to call them. My advice is to focus on you. So the inner critic kryptonite is self-trust. Self-trust is the foundation of self-confidence. It's really the building block of self-confidence. When I'm teaching how to build confidence, it's the very first thing that I teach. What that means is that you have your own back no matter what. So there are two components of self-trust. The first component of self-trust is to be kind to yourself no matter what. I know, this is a radical idea for you, (laughs) because if you're like me, you probably have spent a lifetime beating yourself up but I want you to stick with me. No matter how counterintuitive that seems, let's say you're leading a meeting and you can't answer someone's question. I know that's a lot of your deepest, darkest fears. Your default is to tell yourself you've failed, right? You should have prepared more. So many women tell me, if only I'd prepared more, or I just need to prepare more. Like we're supposed to be able to answer everybody's questions ahead of time before we even know what they are. But anyway, your brain is telling you that you're fundamentally inadequate and you really shouldn't have been hired for this job in the first place if you can't answer all of the questions all of the time. This, my friend, is not kind. In case you didn't know, not kind. Now let's imagine the same scenario where you have your own back. Again, you're leading a meeting and you can't answer someone's question. Instead of going into that sweaty, heart-palpitating Or is it palpating? Palpitating? I don't even know. But you know, the anxiety that comes up when you're thinking, crap, I don't know the answer to this question. I failed. I should have prepared more. Instead of going there, instead of using it as further proof that you're inadequate, what if you told yourself it's okay to not know everything? I know that the not primitive part of your brain, the more supervisory part of the rational, that's the word I'm looking for. The rational part of your brain knows that, right? You can't prepare for every question. 
I know there's still part of you that wants to, but you also know that you can't. What if you admit that to yourself and tell yourself that's okay? I cannot physically, mentally, or emotionally prepare for every single question. Your strength is being able to find the answer later or being able to be present in the conversation instead of worrying about what somebody's thinking about you or what somebody's going to say next. That feels much better, right? I tease my clients because a lot of them, I tease them about wanting to be robots instead of humans. I can't remember if I've mentioned that on this podcast yet. But think about it. Robots don't feel emotions. So they don't feel stress. They don't feel disappointment. They don't feel sad. They don't feel anger. I mean, granted, they don't feel the fun emotions too, but they don't feel the crummy emotions. They never make mistakes because if they do, they get reprogrammed. Robots never worry about what other people think about them. Robots can go on and on and on and on and don't need rest, right? Like you could see why that's so appealing. (laughs) And I know that's what a lot of you want, at least you think you want. But you didn't sign up to be a robot. You signed up to be a human. And guess what? Humans are messy. And that's okay because we are all human, I think, right? Unless you watched Battlestar Galactica and some of you are Cylons. But as far as I know, we're all human. And we're here for the whole human experience. I think we forget that, but life is 50-50, my friends. So imagine you're at the end of your life and you're looking back on all of it. You're doing like your final life assessment, (laughs) what you did well, what you could have done better. Anyway, when you're looking back in your life, it's going to measure up to be about 50-50. 50% of it will be positive emotions, 50% of it not so positive emotions. I don't like using the term negative emotions because an emotion is just an emotion. All it is is information. But I'll do another podcast on emotions in the future because that's a topic in and of itself. Anyway, life is 50-50, my friends. So stop resisting the 50% of it that sucks because we're here to be messy. Humans are messy. You're a human, not a robot. Hopefully that feels better to you. The challenge with this, though, of this whole self-compassion, self-trust, is that you won't believe it. You won't believe the more compassionate talk at first. It will take time. It's like if you've ever had an abused rescue dog or known somebody who has, it takes them a long time to trust humans again. You're going to be the same way to yourself. If you've been beating yourself up for a lifetime, it's going to take you a while to build that trust back. You need to build trust with yourself that you'll actually be kind to yourself no matter what. And let me tell you, this makes all of the difference because if you walk into a meeting and you're not afraid that you're going to be mean to yourself at any point in the meeting, you really can do anything because what other people think of you becomes a lot less important. Let's imagine same meeting scenario. You can't answer a question and you choose to be kind to yourself and remind yourself you're human. You're not a robot then it doesn't matter what you think everybody else in the room is thinking, right? Because you're not going to beat yourself up about it. You're going to be nice to yourself no matter what. So if Sid from accounting is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she couldn't answer that question, you're not going to care. Instead of you being like, oh my gosh, it's so true. Sid knows my flaws. (laughs) Sid knows my deepest, darkest secrets that I'm a human and not a robot. Anyway, (laughs) you won't believe it at first. The more self-compassionate talk at first. But I want you to try it because it's all a big experiment anyway, right? Like how is being mean to yourself working out for you? 
So here's where I get a lot of resistance from people where they think, but the mean girl in my head is the only reason I've accomplished anything. And I used to think that too. I used to think that mean voice in my head was the only reason I got through accelerated classes in high school, got through an Ivy League college. Well, semi. (laughs) I had some bumps along the road there, but again, that's a story for another day. It's how I got through all of my jobs, but it's really not because those weren't necessarily the things that I wanted to be doing with my life. I mean, high school, college, sure, but the voice of the inner critic really caused me to look outside of myself to other people for what I should be doing. So the inner critic, yeah, can get you to accomplish a boatload of stuff, but it's not necessarily the stuff that's aligned with who you are. Yeah, the inner critic got me through high school, got me into an Ivy League college, got me a pretty sweet consulting job after college, but... The inner critic also got me so depressed I had to go on medication, and then I started having panic attacks, <laughs> and then later on in my life, I broke my leg. So yeah, I accomplished a lot of sweet stuff, but somewhere along the line, my body and my brain were like, this is wrong. This is not what you should be doing. It wasn't until I started being nice to myself that I could actually listen to what I wanted. So if you're ever feeling lost, like you don't know who you are anymore, you've lost yourself, Maybe try being nice to yourself and see what voice comes out. There's like this, I forget who says it, this still small voice inside of you, which I love that. But that voice is like the shy kid in the corner, right? That voice isn't going to come out if you're yelling at it. Okay, so what I want you to know is you've accomplished what you've accomplished despite the mean girl in your head. You may have some nice letters after your name. You may have a sweet job and you might also be miserable. So start listening to yourself. Start being nice to yourself. See what happens. Here's an example of that. Let's imagine you're writing a book. I have a few clients for whom this is a big goal, and I know I have at least one book in me, hopefully more, but that sounds super fun. But whenever my clients sit down to write or even think about sitting down to write, they start to feel anxious. And then they think it's the idea of sitting down to write that's making them anxious. So they do something else, right? Because if sitting down to write is making you feel a way you don't want to feel, you're not going to sit down to write. So they do stuff like organize the sock drawer or eat a bunch of chips, go for a walk. There's nothing wrong with going for a walk, by the way, but if it's time to write, it's time to write. Every time they went to write, their inner critic would pipe up. Nobody will like what you write. This is just going to be embarrassing. You're going to put your name on that? You know how that voice is. Sometimes it amazes me that anybody writes books. (laughs) because we're so mean to ourselves. This is where the second component of self-trust comes in, and that is keeping commitments to yourself no matter what. This also is an amazing anti-procrastination tool. So you know how you say you're going to go to the gym after work, but then your boss needs you to do something, or your partner says they're going to work late and will you be home for the kids, or your second cousin needs help moving, so... The first thing you do is drop the gym and do whatever it is someone else has asked of you. This kind of behavior does not build self-trust. It's like if you make a new friend and plan to meet them for coffee, but something comes up and they can't make it. The first time, it's probably okay. But the second or third time, you're probably going to stop trusting that they'll show up and quit making plans with them. It's the same thing for yourself, right? Like the first time you skip the gym to help out somebody else, you might feel pretty good about yourself. Like, Look at how amazing I am. I'm helping this person. I am helpful. We love to feel helpful. But the second or third time, you're, gonna, like, you're not going to trust yourself to follow through. 
Honoring your commitments to yourself is an important way to show yourself that your desires and needs are important. So in the case of writing a book, what I have clients do is think of the amount of time they'd like to write each week. Usually they say something high achieverish like, I'm going to write 10 hours a week. Now, I know that's not realistic at first. You might work your way up to that, but let's set baby goals. So I ask them, what is the bare minimum you can commit to and still make progress? Because that's where we need to start. Instead of doing this big, huge, audacious goal that you don't follow through on, what you actually need to do is set the tiniest goal you can that you'll still make some forward momentum with and then show up and do it, right? It's like the times where you, I love the workout example because that's so concrete for people. It's the times where you're like, I'm going to get in shape. So I'm going to go to the gym three days a week. I'm going to go for a walk two days a week. I'm going to go to the pool another day of the week and I'll take one day off. And you do that for two days and then you're like, this is hard and it sucks and you stop doing it. But if you start going to the gym for an hour every week and start following through on that commitment, when that becomes easy, you can add in another hour at the gym. So I ask, what's the bare minimum you can commit to and still make progress? And they'll say something like, probably one hour a week. So then maybe we'll split that up into two half-hour sessions on two different days. Very doable, right? Since most of my clients are perfectionists or they're closet perfectionists and they haven't admitted it to themselves, they'll protest that that just isn't enough time. But again, to build trust in yourself, you have to start small. The next step is to write those two 30-minute sessions in your calendar. So whatever it is that you want to do, write it in your calendar because what gets scheduled gets done. I'll say that again. What gets scheduled gets done. So after that, it's in your calendar. You set your goal. It's in your calendar. Just anticipate that when the time comes around to write, you're going to want to do anything but write. This is where you're like, I think reorganizing the refrigerator sounds amazing right now. Or maybe I will... I don't know, regrout the bathtub. I don't know what it is people do these days. <laughs> Just kidding. But you have to you have to resist that desire to do anything but write or do the thing that you've committed to do. You have to keep this commitment to yourself. But here's the twist. You have to sit at your computer, but you don't have to write. So same thing with going to the gym. You have to go to the gym when it says go to the gym on your calendar. You don't have to work out, but you're not allowed to do anything else. So if your goal is to write, you've set time on the calendar for 30 minutes a day for two days. The time comes up. You have to sit in your seat. I call this butt in the seat time. You have to sit in your seat. You don't have to write, but you're not allowed to do anything else. No Netflix, no scrolling through Facebook, no preparing that memo for work. You're either writing on a book-related writing, (laughs) not an email to a colleague, but you're writing on something related to your book, if that's your goal, right? Or you're doing nothing. And guess what happens? (laughs) After a while, working on your book starts to sound pretty darn fun, or at least a lot more fun than sitting and doing nothing. Same thing with going to the gym. You drive yourself to the gym, you're sitting there doing nothing, and you're like, this is ridiculous, I might as well work out. This is how I fake out my brain and I teach my clients to fake out their brains because otherwise we put so much, like so much weight on ourselves. I don't, I can't think of it, but so much pressure on ourselves. That's a better term 
to do the thing and then the inner critic pipes up and then it becomes miserable to do the thing. And then of course we don't want to do it, right? But if we give ourselves the out of doing nothing, (laughs) after a while, doing the thing sounds pretty fun. So when you can build genuine trust in yourself, when you have your own back, the voice of the inner critic recedes in the distance and you'll find that you're able to get more of the right things done. It'll take time. But trust, again, trust yourself. Keep in mind that you have decades of practice at beating yourself up. So it's going to take a little while to be kind to yourself automatically. But keep at it, my friend. It is 100% worth it. And everything you want is on the other side. All right. I hope you have a fabulous week. Drop me a comment. Let me know how this process is going for you. Let me know if you have any questions. I love to hear from people. And take care. We'll see you next week. If you found this podcast helpful, head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Go ahead and send it to a friend while you're at it. Thank you. My mission in life is to liberate women from the limiting beliefs that are holding them back from living their fullest, most joyful lives. If you'd like to learn more about my work, check out my website at www.amandaryanfear.com, where you can find links to join my free private Facebook group and to learn more about working with me.